Lucas on Life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas and it is a good evening because as probably everyone knows by now, we've had some great news this week. We hear the sound of the cavalry that is the coronavirus vaccine. Hooray and hallelujah we cry because let's face it, the last year has given us our full of gloomy headlines. As we begin the Advent season, which is all about the absolutely marvellous news of the coming of the Saviour, we're going to look tonight at a man who is often overlooked in the Nativity story, even though he played an absolutely vital part, and that was Joseph, fiancé of Mary. Without his sensitive heart and cooperative attitude, things would have been very different. And so... As we come to Advent, and Advent literally means arrival, and its purpose is to allow us to wait and anticipate the coming of Jesus, we're looking at Joseph. His story unfolds in Matthew chapter 1, just a couple of verses from there. This is how the birth of Jesus came about, Matthew says. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, he was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. As I mentioned earlier, Joseph really is the consummate unsung hero. You don't often see him, do you, on those Christmas cards that are arriving by the day. We see the holy family glow in the dark, mildly fluorescent, serenely unlike us, and Mary's always there, obviously, she always looks beatific. Jesus, the baby, is sitting up already, sometimes chatting with the wise men, and they're all surrounded by grinning cows and donkeys. I'm not being irreverent here. Jesus was not born into a glowing family, but an ordinary one. And on those Christmas cards, Joseph the carpenter, more likely builder, is never to be seen. Perhaps he's sorting out a wonky coffee table in the back. Honestly, the Bible doesn't focus on Joseph too much either. The stepfather of Jesus is only named 16 times in the Gospel records and not at all in the Gospel of Mark. Matthew doesn't mention him after chapter 2, Luke ignores him after chapter 4, and John in his Gospel only mentions Joseph twice. So why should we consider him? He was a man of the supernatural, as we'll see, having four dreams that changed the course of human history. He was also very mature for his age. One commentator suggests that Joseph was perhaps between 18 and 20 years of age. But the Bible also describes him as someone who was righteous. Now that word righteous is not terribly popular these days, is it? We tend to associate it more with that self-righteous person who can be screamingly irritating. When we ask people about what their ambitions are, you don't normally hear that high school or college graduate say, I want to be a righteous person. But the Bible actually tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Joseph was a man of righteousness and warmth, heart as well as conviction. He didn't want to expose his fiancée Mary to public disgrace, and he could very easily have done that. 
They were betrothed, not married yet, engaged, but to break off an engagement would have been quite a scandal and a hideous scandal by nature of the fact that she was pregnant. But Joseph made choices, not because he wanted to short-circuit the law, but because he was aware that in his extraordinary circumstances, he needed to protect his fiancée. A wooden attitude of so-called righteousness could have meant that Mary might be accused of being an adulteress and suffer the punishment, which was death by stoning, although that was probably not insisted upon in the New Testament era. It's been said that Joseph had a short but tragic struggle between his legal conscience and his love. Thankfully, love won the day. He was righteous, all right, but he was kind. Let's not be one of those righteous people who never look to redeem imperfect and messy situations and just comes crashing in with a thunderous face and a thunderous Bible verse instead. Unkind people who get religion often become more unkind as a result. Joseph, a righteous man and a kind man. Matthew's Gospel tells us that when Joseph woke up, having had a dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now think about that. Joseph, this young man, was catapulted into a completely bewildering situation. His fiancée is pregnant, but she's a virgin. He shows immense tenderness towards his future wife. And even while he's processing such mind-boggling information, his actions were a man of compassion, as we've seen, kindness, love, honour, with little or no regard for his own welfare or reputation but it couldn't have been easy. This betrothal arrangement, it usually took place when a girl was between 12 and 13 as a result of negotiations between parents. And in New Testament times, a man like Joseph became formally betrothed when he gave a gift to his future wife, simply saying the words, by this you are set apart for me according to the laws of Moses and of Israel. Marriage vows were declared at the betrothal and only a formal divorce could end them. Custom decreed an interval before the bride could be in her husband's house and begin a normal marriage relationship. And it was during that interval that Mary was found to be expecting. So a really difficult dilemma was unfolding for Joseph. And as a craftsman, he was well used to fixing broken objects. Now he moves swiftly and decisively towards what he believes will be the best solution to this terrible dilemma. He'll let Mary, the love of his life, go in a quiet cancellation of the coming wedding. The Bible says he'd made up his mind. God had other plans, revealed those plans to Joseph, who did exactly what he was told. Righteous people are often the most resistant and stubborn people because they're convinced that they're always right. But Joseph was not like that. The self-righteous never apologize. It was Leonard Ravenhill who said, there are three words to a better future. I was wrong. Joseph was willing to change his mind, and it changed history. How about us? Christmas time is here, which leads me neatly to a comment that we are frequently going to hear during this Christmas season. People say, go on, it's Christmas. 
Christmas seems to be an opportunity to overindulge, too much to eat, too much to drink. But imagine this conversation. One person says to another, I ate way too much and drank too much over Christmas. Well, why did you do that then, is the response. Well, it was Jesus' birthday, wasn't it? Doesn't sound like terribly good reasoning. And sometimes people say, well, a little bit of what you fancy does you good. Try telling that to Adam and Eve. Or everyone's doing it, but the crowd can be wrong. In our culture, it would appear that most humans have sent up a white flag of unconditional surrender to one of the most powerful persuasive forces in the universe, our own hormones. In our just-do-it culture, the very notion, for example, of chastity, that a woman or man might choose to go into marriage as virgins who've saved themselves for their lifelong partner, it's an idea that tends to meet with raised eyebrows and incredulity. Self-indulgence is apparently the order of the day. Even the saintly St. Augustine prayed once, O Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. Even popular modern heroes are unable to conquer this internal force. James Bond may be able to fend off attacks from the most sophisticated nuclear-armed villains, but, well, at least before it became politically incorrect for him to do so, when it was time for bed, he would surrender himself to the arms of yet another beauty just for the night. All this paints the popular misguided caricature of what it means to be male. But it's a lie, and this is where Joseph comes in, because Joseph marries Mary, and they enter into their marriage with all of the normal anticipation that newlyweds would feel. But we read in Matthew 1, 25, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. There was no wedding night, no honeymoon for a while. Ensuring that the status of the virginal conception of Jesus was protected, Joseph and Mary wait until after he is born, until beginning a normal married life together. They're a model of the most unusual self-control and discipline. There's no suggestion here of a doctrine of Mary's perpetual virginity. Jesus had younger brothers and sisters. You can read about them in Matthew 12, Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 3. Our sexuality is a powerful, God-given, beautiful force, but we're not to be at the mercy of our hormones, be it in terms of sex or what we eat or what we drink. We're called to be masters of ourselves as we submit daily to Christ. So, contrary to the... We're called to be masters of ourselves as we submit daily to Christ. So, contrary to the popular slogan, let's not just do it. Joseph has been our focus tonight, and we read at the end of the Nativity account in Matthew 2, so Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. His rest, his sleep, had been interrupted by a persistent dream, another dream, that featured a warning angel. He was commanded to vacate his warm bed now and wake his wife and emigrate immediately. The young family slip away in the shadows, blinking their eyes against confusion and sleep and praying that the baby won't cry. And they go to Egypt, a traditional place of asylum for Jews in political danger. Not only that, but their late night trek fulfilled the prophecy of Hosea chapter 11. 
emigrating during nightfall. Now that's pretty radical, but Joseph did that because God spoke to him. Four dreams, a dream of a future hope. Marry her, she's carrying the saviour. A second dream, go to Egypt. A third dream, come back from Egypt. And a fourth dream, settle the family in Galilee. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, often Joseph doesn't get much credit, but his sensitivity to supernatural revelation often goes unnoticed. But Joseph had the ability to be steered by the divine choreographer because he had a sensitive heart and he was radically obedient too. So why don't we give this to God this Christmas? An open ear and an open heart, a readiness to respond. See you next week. Lucas on Life.